Welcome back to another episode of Consciously Clueless. I'm your host, Carly, and I will be your guide on this journey from cluelessness to consciousness and back around again. Today on the podcast, we have Ruben Lozano, a Dallas vegan police officer who I am so glad that I had the chance to talk to. Ruben was so honest and vulnerable about his experiences as a man of color working in the police force and really honestly talked about his opinions about everything going on in the world right now. Most importantly, about how love, compassion, understanding, and empathy will help us all move through it. Well, first of all, thank you for being on this because it's really exciting to connect with new people and have people on the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I started this podcast and it's called Consciously Clueless. And for me, that name kind of embodies this honest place to explore those moments where we feel like we're like consciously moving through and we're killing it. Mm -hmm. And then also those moments where all of a sudden we're clueless and we're barely hanging in there and like everything in between. Um, Absolutely. So I just want to check in with you and see where do you feel like you're on that spectrum right now? I'm feeling okay. I mean, but I, I, I think uh, in some ways I embody, you know, how you feel where we think that everything is, is all copacetic and we're doing mm-hmm. well. And then eventually we just hit a brick wall. And I think that that's the beauty of, of, of human beings is we have the ability to hit a brick wall and get up mm. and, and, and we thirst for more knowledge and we're able to, to seek it and, and learn more and open our eyes to, to what uh, the world has to offer us and what people have to offer us. Yeah. That's beautiful. That ability to hit a brick wall and keep going. Sometimes we forget we have that ability. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it's, it's easy for us to just give up, it, you know, it, it everybody you know a lot of people just have a mindset that they just can't keep going and it's so easy for us to just throw in the towel and and give Mm -hmm. up but um it's not what we're we're built for we're built to seek you know uh to seek enlightenment and to to seek uh you know more knowledge and i think that that you know that the human mind is very resilient in the fact Mm -hmm. that even though we hit a brick wall we can dust ourselves up and say no this is not it for me this is this is you know this is just the beginning Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. This is just the beginning. (laughs) So on Instagram, you are a Dallas vegan cop. That's me. So that like (laughs) embodies so many cool intersections right there. Um, But I want to, especially with everything going on, I want to hear, first of all, what is, what led you to become a police officer? Uh, so my mom early on, uh, so I, I come from all my parents, both of my parents are police officers, both of my brothers are police officers. I don't have any sisters. Um, but my mom early on worked as a County clerk, uh, mm-hmm. um, Fulton County. And I remember going to her office, uh, often after school to help, you know, file papers and, and anything that she, she needed help with, uh, clerical wise. Um, and I would see a lot of these police officers that would walk in that were Dallas County constables. Hmm. And I just always, you know, uh, thought that it was just really cool to see the uniform and see, you know, all the tools of the trade that they, that they use to get the job done. And uh, it wasn't until like high school where, or junior high, middle school into high school where I started hanging around with the wrong crowd. 
Mm-hmm. And I think I touched on this with Carlos is I don't come from a broken home. You know, both of my parents are still, you know, that they're married, um, come from a loving family, uh, amazing people. And they, they raised me with, uh, you know, compassion, and morals, and they did the best that they could do. But at the end of the day, you know, we all make our own decisions. And yeah. I started to hang out with the wrong crowd and just do bad things. Mm-hmm. And it came to a head when, uh, you know, the school resource officer who was a Dallas police officer at the time, who knew my mother um, and he caught me and some of the people that I was hanging around with uh, doing some of these bad things. And he pulled me to the side and in so many words, just basically said, Hey, I know your mom and I need you to just, you know, focus and, and uh, you're better than this. You have a bright future ahead of you. And I see potential uh, with that said, I'm not going to tell your mom, but if I do catch you continuing hanging around with these people, or if I catch you doing anything bad in the future, I'm going to make it my mission to, to, to essentially, you know, make you pay for your consequences. Mm. And that was, that was it for me. Um, you know, I did my best to kind of distance myself from those individuals and make new friends uh, and see the true potential that I had. I always saw it. I just never, never utilized it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. That's what made me decide, okay, yeah, I'm going to stop doing this and maybe I want to, you know, go into law enforcement, you know, yeah. it always intrigued me. You know, after high school, I went a few years and then I worked a couple of um, what I consider, you know, dead end jobs where, mm-hmm. where, you know, I was in the corporate world and I had moved up uh, the corporate ladder pretty fast at a very young age. Um, and I was pretty much stagnant in that position. Yeah. And I just didn't feel like I was growing. Um, and I said, you know what? I think now's the time for me to, to explore that dream and be a police officer. So I went to the police academy and that was in 2004. So been a police officer for 16 years now, but oh, I've been wow. with Dallas for about 11 years. So what do you think it was about that moment that made something click? Because I think a lot of people talk about, it's not just one moment, but our life is full mm-hmm. of these moments where something clicks into place and yeah. it alters our path. What do you think it was about that moment for you? Well, leading up to that, I saw some of my quote unquote friends that I was hanging out with. Um, that were either going to jail, uh, drive-bys were very prevalent back in the day here in Dallas. So some of them were getting shot and killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was just very, you know, heartbreaking to me. And I didn't want to lose my freedom essentially. Right. right. Um, and I just wanted to, uh, yeah, I wanted to make my parents proud, you know, mm-hmm. and it was just, you know, those things leading up to that moment and that moment being my aha moment and saying, yeah, this is, this is not okay. I need to, uh, to change my life around and start focusing on uh on a better life for myself and make my parents proud so how is it being a man of color being a police officer in dallas what are those intersections like it's not very difficult um because i work with some amazing people uh from all walks of life you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i work with a couple of black officers white officers um some some Middle Eastern officers and they're, they're great people. Um, so, I mean, it's not that difficult from my perspective, mm-hmm. but you know, what I started to see after the George Floyd incident was this division between um, officers of color and, and essentially white officers. Oh, interesting. Something that just didn't sit well with me. You know, they, they, they didn't understand that uh, there was a need for reform. Uh, mm-hmm. They didn't understand that uh, what happened was wrong on so many levels and that things needed to change. And 
if you don't sit back and watch that video of of a black man being murdered at the hands of police officers i mean i you know i was just heartbroken when i saw that video um and, and if you look at it as not as a police officer but as just a human being yeah and you're not utterly disgusted by that then something's wrong with you internally and i think you know i always knew that there was a problem but i didn't you know mm. i stayed silent a lot of the times and i think mm -hmm. as a police officer a lot of us have the unique ability of seeing these videos or seeing these things play out and we look at it from the eyes of a police officer Right. Were these officers justified? Uh, were they in the parameters of department policy of uh, state law? Was it a justifiable, uh, you know, a justifiable uh, use of force? Mm -hmm. uh, and then we're able to look at it through the eyes of, of the civilian because we have we were once civilians before, right? Right. So we have that unique ability of doing that, where the majority of the general public just looks at it from their perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, set aside uh, a use of force continuum, setting aside, you know, uh, a penal code, setting aside, you know, all of these things that we are trained to essentially zone in on and look at. Right. Uh, and make and make the decision whether or not if I was in the same position as that officer, would I have acted in the same way, in the same manner? And most people, they don't have the ability to do that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I... I I saw some division and some things mm -hmm. that I didn't like. And, you know, it's up to me to, to ch I'm not in a position to change things at an administrative level, but I can change things within my own heart. And that's exactly what it did. It opened my eyes tremendously mm -hmm. to recognize the biases in my own heart. And I think that when we do that, then we can start to move forward and have uncomfortable conversations right um, but it's it's not until we do that that we're able to move forward and that's the thing i see tons of officers that are not willing to recognize that it's not okay you know i mean i think the majority of the officers saw that video and were disgusted as well mm -hmm. but it's not just okay to be disgusted with it you need to say something openly yeah. and in public and stand with people of color uh, whether you're black uh, or Hispanic, and 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 you continue to see these injustices happen at the hands of law enforcement officers, a profession that I love. Right. Uh, but you got to stand up and say, okay, yeah, something's got to change. You know, we, we have to change the narrative. If nothing changes, then nothing changes, and that's what I'm I'm starting to see now. And it's it's disheartening to be honest with you the division that you saw absolutely as absolutely and and it's one of those things where you know it we have to um we have to become part of the call-out culture when we see something mm. that is happening within our own circle of friends whether it's a a racial remark or a disparaging remark you know it's not enough just to stay silent and walk away but you got to say hey that's not okay you know right and a lot of these things are are taught from us through generational, you know, lessons or, or things that we've been taught by our family members, by our friends growing up, by, you know, the media and, and you know, uh, more so now, you know, social media. Mm -hmm. And so we're taught these things and we're taught to believe that their blackness has been weaponized 
just by the color of their skin and not by the character and the content of their heart and of their mind. Not even getting to know the individual, but just seeing their color and saying that person's dangerous. Yeah. And that's, that's not okay. Yeah. And I think that coming from somebody who's had to, and is willing to, and is jumping into again, really examining my white privilege. Mm -hmm. I think what's really hard for people is to not say, well, I'm not a bad person. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that people want so desperately to separate themselves from like those overt racist acts, Mm -hmm. which at this point we're seeing a lot of that too. But what you're kind of getting at is that call out culture of like, what are the everyday things Mm -hmm. that just perpetuate all these things? And what are the biases I have? It's not that I'm a bad person. It's that I was brought up in a broken, bad system. Mm-hmm. And realizing that has been really important too. And like, you know, whether it's educational or whether it's um, police officers, like whatever the system is, it's not that that's bad, inherently bad people. It's that when you're brought up in a system that has those issues, what else are you going to know? Absolutely. And we, we as law enforcement officers, we, now I'll admit, you know, I've worked with some some very, you know, sketchy individuals that I'll distance myself from or either, you know, call them out whenever I see them, you know, uh, uh, treating somebody badly or speaking mm-hmm. badly to somebody. Um, but it, it's one of those things where, you know, we've got tons of officers that are um, fresh out of college and they're fresh out of college and it's good because they're educated, right? Right. But they haven't been exposed to tons of, of, of different cultures and backgrounds, whether it's the way they were brought up or the little town that they, you know, that we recruited them from. So right. they're growing up with strictly, you know, white people and very limited black people, very limited Hispanic people. And then what we do is we train them in our police academy. And it's, uh, it's uh, when I went through, it was like a 32 week academy. So right at about eight months, I know it's gone. It's gotten longer since then. Okay. Because of because of things like this, right? Then they start to add more classes and more bias training and more use of force and more you know you name it. They're starting to add hours and hours of training. Um, so what you're seeing is you're seeing them fresh out of college with almost little to to, to no life experience. Yeah. Uh, in dealing with 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 people of different cultures, and then you put them in the academy, they're still young, and then you have instructors that'll come and say, if you really want to learn police work, you need to patrol the Southern sectors of Dallas, which is South Central, Southwest, where I work, and Southeast patrol, because there's a lot of drugs, there's a lot of robberies, there's a lot of sexual assaults, there's you name it. Mm-hmm. But why is that? You know what I mean? Right. Why is there so much crime in the South versus the North? Not to say that the North doesn't have crime. You know, they, they have lots of crime, but we're taught if you want to learn, you have to go down here. And mm. down south is where you have your black people, your Hispanic people, uh, low income, middle to low income. And so you have these young officers that most of them are predominantly white and you're putting them in these neighborhoods and they don't know the community. And when you, you're putting them out there and you're throwing them out there with a the trainer and then once they go through like a seven week, I want to say it's about seven weeks or a little bit longer of field training, Okay. Then they're released essentially on their own or with another wow. partner. And when they're with a partner, that partner probably has maybe six to seven months on more than they do. 
Okay. So they're patrolling these neighborhoods and they're not familiar with the community, you know? And, and I think, you know, we need to start seeing more recruiting based here in Dallas, recruit people from Dallas that oh, know the community that want to go out there and make a difference versus recruiting from a small town somewhere up in the Northeast or in the Northwest or the central, you know, um, uh, the central part of the U.S. and then we're bringing them down here and essentially just throwing them out there and then you start to see younger officers getting themselves in trouble and it's just it's not okay. When you're describing that situation if you've been brought up in you know a small town and all you've known is the privilege of your whiteness and then you're being told if you want to learn policing go to these areas you're yeah. kind of being taught that that crime is equated with those people. Mm -hmm. And like, instead of what you said, instead of asking why. Mm -hmm. One of my coworkers, it was interesting because I work in a unit called um, the NPO office. NPO is basically neighborhood police officers. Okay. So we're tasked with going out, speaking at town hall forums, community crime watch meetings. Um, we speak to um, a lot of individuals in the neighborhood community leaders to address quality of life issues. So we work with the Department of Homeless Solutions and we work with code compliance and we work with, you know, a plethora of other agencies that, that will go out and try to help, you know, clean up the neighborhood and address some of the issues that we don't want to overwhelm patrol officers with. Mm -hmm. We can handle it from our level, then, you know, we'll go out and handle it. And, you know, uh, you know, I remember one of, and we have, you know, maybe three, you know, people of color in my unit, three, three black officers, uh, a couple of Hispanic officers. And, but I remember like a coworker of mine, after all of this was happening, um, he said, man, this is crazy. My, he's oh, he's a white officer. This is mm -hmm. crazy. My, my wife can't even walk out of the apartment and she's scared because of the color of her skin. She's a white, white person, right? Because mm -hmm. of the looting or the rioting or the protesters. Mm -hmm. And I remember stopping in my tracks and thinking, hello, this is what people of color feel on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. Afraid to go out of their own apartment or home because of the color of their skin. Mm. And it, it really struck a nerve with me because I was like, people just don't get it. You know, yeah. they don't get it. And it's not okay when you have individuals um, like an Ahmaud Arbery, you know, going out there, you know, in a neighborhood and being gunned down. Mm. Or you have individuals like George Floyd who, you know, despite his criminal history, I don't care about that. None of that matters. It shouldn't right. matter. Right. What matters is what happened and what you saw. And that's what matters. I don't care if, you know, 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, he did something, you know, uh, committed a crime. Mm -hmm. What matters is you affect that arrest safely mm -hmm. and do it within the confines of your department policy. And, mm -hmm. and it's my job as a police officer, if I go out with a partner and I tell my partners this a lot, that it's my job to keep you out of internal affairs. It's my job to keep you out of prison if something goes wrong and it's your job to reciprocate that mm. so if i have to be what we call an ethical hero and i see you doing something wrong and i need to step up and i need to call you out and you need to do the same and i think that that's what we saw is is and i said this in an interview because i've i've i did a couple of interviews with uh, our local news station okay because of a photo of me went viral 
of hugging a local artist uh, here in downtown Dallas. I'll give you the backstory to that. Um, I was there the night of the riots uh, on the first day, and we could hear it on the radio that they were, you know, looting certain stores and mm -hmm. breaking windows and, and mm -hmm. things of that nature, but we couldn't get to there. Because right? our downtown Dallas is, you know, it's relatively big. We were on one side of the city. We could hear it in downtown. And so a couple of days passed and I started to see these murals that were popping up in, uh, in the arts. Essentially, it's like an arts district of Dallas. Okay. And they're portraits of, uh, of individuals that have been killed at the hands of police officers. And, you know, the message attached to it was spread love, not hate. Mm -hmm. And I thought these murals were just so beautiful and so mm -hmm. powerful, right? Despite the pain behind them, I said, I saw them on social media. I wanted to take a picture, right? Yeah. So I go with my partner. We find the murals. I take a picture. We're driving down uh, another street that's just adjacent to, to that street where the murals were at. And I see an artist painting a picture of Sandra Bland. Mm. And uh, I pull over and I'm like, oh, man, He's, paying, he's actually painting the picture. And at the time, I didn't know it was the same artist who painted the four murals that I had just taken pictures of. Oh, okay. So I go up to him and I said, hey, man, I said, uh, I saw your murals over there, like, you know, uh, when I saw his Instagram handle. And I said, I saw your murals over there. And it's very powerful. Do you mind if I take a picture of you in front of your artwork? A power pose, right? Mm. Arms crossed, kneel, mm. whatever you want to do. Yeah. I'm, trying to get into photography, you know, food photography, so to speak. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm trying to utilize my camera a lot more. So I decided to take a picture of him. And then I said, can I take a picture with you in front of your artwork? He said, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we did. And then uh, something in that moment just asked me, or it's not something, it's God. God told me, you pray for this, pray for this man. Ask mm -hmm. him if you can pray for him. Um, and I asked him and, and he obliged and I put mm -hmm. my hand on his shoulder and he's much taller than me <laughs> and uh, <laughs> put my hand on his shoulder and I prayed for him. And I remember being very, very emotional in that moment. I'm already an emotional person. I remember crying and I remember praying for, for love and understanding and compassion and apologizing to him for the things that are going on in the world today, specifically surrounding uh, people of color and them being killed at the hands of police officers. And little did I know that, People were going to be stopping in the middle of the road, taking pictures, videotaping it. People were stopping in their tracks, walking on the sidewalk, and somehow it reached the, the media outlet. They wanted to um, to interview me. Okay. So they interviewed me, and you know, part of what I said was, you know, one, I just wanted to show him appreciation and love for his artwork. I think everybody has a story to tell, um, and it's unfortunate that this has to happen to wake people up. Right. Um, and I think, you know, what we saw was three officers that stood by and did nothing. And, and evil flourishes when good men stand by and do nothing. And that's exactly what we saw in this situation is we saw three officers stand by and not intervene when they saw an injustice occur. In this situation, evil still flourishes when we say nothing. So mm. it's not just enough for me just to post a black square on my social media. Right. Yeah. It's not just enough for that. It's, it means more and it speaks volumes when I break the silence mm -hmm. in my own heart and in my own mind and with my own peers and call people out for racial remarks mm -hmm. for, I mean, you name it, you know? So it, it, for me, it was, it was a wake up call for me to finally say something. And I'm sure I lost some friends cause I posted the picture 
to my social media account on Facebook after it was already shared by tons of people and after the news already interviewed me, I said, you know what, I want to share my story. I want to, I want to put it out there as to, to, for my followers, because I have tons of, of friends that I worked with in the corporate world, tons mm. of, uh, of friends that I went to school with yeah. um, that I know sit back and they're probably thinking to themselves, I wonder what Ruben feels about this. I wonder how, what he's thinking about this. So I posted the picture and, you know, it went viral. And then I had, you know, a couple of radio stations reach out to me, a couple of news outlets reach, reach out to me. And I told people, it's not about me. It wasn't about me. I didn't want the attention on me. The attention I want to be brought to the, you know, to the forefront was the injustices that we continue to see. And I wanted to display what I felt was very, very uh, powerful work of art by this young man. And, and, and at the end of the day, that's, that's, that's all it was about. It was about displaying his artwork and the message that was attached to it and it spread love, not hate. Yeah. Have you, you kind of started to touch on this. Have you caused any rifts or um, had any hard discussions within your department because of you starting to speak out about this? I, I've had a few people kind of like sneak into my DM and, and, you know, kind of essentially try to call me out and I've had some, you know, some of those discussions and I try not to get, get them heated. You know, Mm -hmm. I I try to just speak from a level of compassion rather than, than being what I could call a keyboard warrior and debating people. Um, But if they don't get it, then it's, it's hard to change somebody's heart, you know? Um, and then, of course, I had a couple of negative comments from from some people who didn't agree with, you know, the Sandra Bland photo because, mm-hmm. you know, on the Sandra Bland photo, you know, he he basically wrote next to Sandra Bland that she was killed at the hands of a white police officer. So, of course, you got some officers that, you know, were saying, wow, you know, she didn't kill or, or she killed herself. She wasn't killed by, you know, a white police officer. She killed herself. And I'm like if that's what you're focusing on, then you're missing the point. You mm. know, if, if you're focusing on these words and not the image of me praying with a person of color, then you're missing the point. Right. And clearly you still lack compassion because despite the picture, even if I blacked out the picture in the background and you saw me hugging a black man while I'm in uniform, you still would have had an issue with it. And exactly. to me, that's not okay. It's, I think a lot of people are operating out of fear right now, fear of unknown, Mm -hmm. fear of not knowing or fear of losing power, even Mm -hmm. if that's not conscious. But when you've had privilege and this feels like a fear of losing some sort of power, even if you're not conscious of that, I think that's a lot of what's happening. Absolutely. And, you know, I had a a really good conversation with uh, somebody in my chain of command who saw the picture and because uh, he got scrutinized as well for for kneeling with some protesters, um, and he's in a leadership position of one of our our police unions here in Dallas. And you know he kneeled with them and prayed. And I think what we're seeing is a lot of officers that are just upset when they see officers kneeling because they feel like they're kneeling out of submission, and they're still missing the point. We're not kneeling because we're submitting to you. We're kneeling in solidarity and recognizing that there's a problem. And saying that, hey, you know what, if it takes me kneeling to show you that I'm with you, then I'm all for it. If it takes me hugging a a man, an artist, a black man while I'm in uniform, 
I didn't know that that was going to happen that day. It wasn't my intention to go out there and do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but I felt that I, I needed to, I felt, you know, I'm a Christian man. So I felt, you know, God, God tuck, tugged on my heartstrings and, mm-hmm. and wanted me to pray for him. And so often, you know, I think that, you know, the Holy Spirit of God speaks to people in different ways, but so often we don't listen and we miss an opportunity to, to build a bond, to build community, to show compassion and love out of fear. Yeah. And we're afraid of what is to come after this. What are the repercussions? What are my quote unquote friends going to think? What is my chain of command going to think? What is my family going to think? You know, I mean, let's just just call it like it is. You know what I mean? Like, what are they going to think if they see this? But the support has been completely overwhelming from people reaching out to me uh, that I went to middle school with or elementary school that they, they, you know, obviously we've lost touch and they're, you know, sending me messages. Hey, thank you. This is what we need right now. You know, this is, this is exactly what we need to see officers Mm -hmm. stepping up to the plate, not in submission, but in solidarity and Mm -hmm. speaking out that there is a problem. Right. And I think that that's something else that people are having a hard time with, like I was mentioning before, is there's the analogy to the bad apple, like a few bad apples thing that I appreciated some people saying, well, it's not, it's not a bad apple situation. It's like a bad orchard. So it's like that, that systematic problem that you described, like here's this young person that came straight out of the academy and has never had any cultural experience and gets thrown Mm -hmm. in this neighborhood. So that's a systematic issue. And I think people have a problem with rethinking a whole system that we've known our whole life could be corrupt or could have issues or could need Mm -hmm. to be reformed or money could be put somewhere else. Like those questions, I think just cause fear. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And it's, it's one of those things where the law enforcement community is a small portion of a huge system, Right. right? A huge system. So Yes, I fully support people going out there and protesting, you know, and vocalizing their frustration and their anger and their pain, but don't stop there. You know, we don't want to see, you know, next month come and go. And then we don't see protesters anymore, but then again, they don't show up to the voting polls. You know, if we're going to, to, to spark change and effectively change things, you have to continue the fight at a legislative level, at a presidential level. You have to start at a judicial level. You have mm-hmm. to start voting for those people that are creating laws that you feel are oppressing you and put somebody in there that, that you feel you can trust that is going to feel you, hear you, and listen to your frustration and listen to your concerns and effectively make those changes. Don't just stop at protesting, mm-hmm. you know, because I don't want to see people just stop there. If they want true reform, it's got to happen at the voting polls. Right. And I think that it's easy, especially if you have privilege to post the black square and to say, okay, black lives matter. I stand mm-hmm. with this. And then, you know, my privilege allows me to step out of that space. I don't mm-hmm. really have to think about that. That's what privilege is, right? I can kind of put it on my to-do list, but especially for people that have the means to keep pushing and keep being a part of it and 
affect change and vote and call and sign petitions like you're saying Mm -hmm. like that's i think the thing that we need to keep talking about is we're not done yeah and you know i'm i'm a hispanic police officer right Mm -hmm. but when i get in my vehicle which is a nice vehicle and i drive around the city from my apartment complex either to the gym to the park to the grocery store to the gas station you name Mm -hmm. it more often than not i have a cut off sleeve shirt on Mm -hmm. i've got tattoos as you can see right Mm -hmm. they're all over Mm -hmm. um but i'm not uh i've experienced officers pulling me over for no other reason than the fact that that i'm hispanic with tattoos um and i've i've you know i know that i've got no reason for you to pull me over and then as soon as they come up i show them my id my credentials and i'm like hey i'm a police officer there's a weapon in the vehicle so at least i let them know up front i show them my credentials and they're like oh you know what no you're good you're good. And I'm like, well, oh, no, what did you pull me over for? Like, what did you pull me over for? No, 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 you're good, man. You're good. You know, have a good day. And I'm like, no, but that's not okay because I want to know what you pulled me over for because I had my seatbelt on. My registration's current. I used my signal. I, I did everything I was supposed to do. Why did you pull me over? But I'm not going to pretend that I know what it's like to live in the shoes or in the skin of a person of color that is black. Mm-hmm. because they go through that, you know, majority of the time. Right. A, a lot of time they experience, you know, officers either racial profiling, stopping them, you know, for walking in the middle of a street in an affluential neighborhood, riding their bike, things of that nature. I've gotten calls, me and my partner, um, I've gotten a call from somebody who said, well, there's, a, there's a, a black male suspect who's riding his bike through the neighborhood. And I'm like, this was way before George Floyd. This was like maybe last year sometime, right? Okay. And um, we take the call. We go and we see him. And I'm like, I'm not stopping that guy. Because somebody feels that that he's going to commit a crime. And he's literally just riding his bike. And I'm like, no, that's not okay. Because one, I'm not going to become a viral sensational video. I'm not going to violate this man's rights. He's fully you know, uh, uh, well within his rights to ride his bicycle. He's not breaking any laws. And if I wanted to, I could make what we call a consensual stop and just say, Hey man, you know, what's your name? You know, what, what, uh, what are you doing in this neighborhood? Where are you heading to? But what's the point in that? Right. Because automatically more than likely he's going to become defensive as to why are you pulling me over? Because I'm a black man in a white neighborhood. No. Now, if they're actually breaking the law, then absolutely, I have no problem making contact with them. Right. But if they're riding their bike, it's not okay for me to go and harass that individual. It's well, and not. I think that's the thing that a lot of people have a hard time understanding that don't experience that is like, that man was just existing as a black man on a bike and that mm-hmm. caused someone to call the police. Mm-hmm. You know, like just existing. And there's been a lot of those posts that are heartbreaking where it's, my friends of color are like, okay, so now we can't sleep in our own beds. We can't wear a hoodie. We can't buy Skittles. We can't, you know, like the list goes mm-hmm. on, but really yeah. it's just existing as a black person yeah. in our world right now. Or like this, this, this case, and it's not a new case. It just kind of got, I don't know, essentially swept under the rug. Young kid, Elijah. Yes. Who suffers from anemia. Mm-hmm. He's an introvert had his headphones in walking it's cold outside he has a masks on he has a mask on 
Yep. Got his headphones in. Somebody calls because he's got a mask on. The young man was super polite, even as he was being taken to the ground and being put in in a, a chokehold or a carotid, you know, hold. He's still super compassionate, very polite, and just couldn't understand what was going on. And it's heartbreaking to know that 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 nothing has happened, you know, to that's, those officers. That's the power too, I think in showing what the people can do like Mm -hmm. beyond posting the black square because i believe just before this interview i'll have to double check but i saw that the case was going to be heard finally because Mm -hmm. enough people were raising awareness and saying why hasn't this gone anywhere so it's like there is more power to continuing to push and push and use that momentum to say, Hey, we want to see something happen here. They had his last words and I just, it it tore me apart. Yeah. And it's, it's heartbreaking because, you know, now these things are coming to the forefront after essentially that one somewhat being, you know, swept under the rug and now it's garnering, you know, national media attention and, Mm -hmm. and people are speaking up to, to that injustice and making their voice heard. And I think what we're seeing now is tons of people who are, have just been frustrated and hurt and angry over the years and years and years of police brutality. And it's not just the police brutality. It's when they see it and it's not justified and there's no accountability. Yes. And that's what it boils down to. Even if it is caught and those officers are indicted and charged and they go to trial, you're seeing officers get off. And that is what is frustrating. It, 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 it hurts and it's heartbroken to see the videos, but it's almost as if you're kicking people of color while they're down when, you, when justice is not served. Absolutely. And that is what sets me back as a law enforcement officer who focuses on community relations. Mm-hmm. When the work that I put in to build community trust gets dismantled by a video of a black man losing his life. Yes. Now I have to start. Now I have to start all over. They mm-hmm. just made my, my job that much harder and they mm-hmm. put a target on my back. Mm-hmm. It sounds like, I know I've I heard you speak about this in the interview you did on YouTube, I think, but that you really try and lead with compassion. And I think that is very apparent in this conversation, but you also kind of connected it into the way you started living your life intersecting with being vegan and like animals. And it feels like there's all these layers of where that compassion comes from. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that my decision to go vegan, whereas it was just an experimental, um, uh, you know, voyage, Mm -hmm. it turned into more of of an ethical choice. And I think my experience in going vegan and doing it for true compassion and for the animals, it's all intersectional with me being a police officer and finally taking the blinders off and seeing true compassion because I'm a human being before I am a police officer. Mm-hmm. I know tons of officers mm. that 
that that e that that eat and breathe police work and that's not me i'm a human being first i'm a i'm i'm a police officer second and law enforcement is a part of my life it is my chosen profession but it is not my life right there's a difference my entire yeah it is not my life i don't wake up you know, putting on a police shirt, a police hat on my off day and walking out of the house. I don't own those clothes. And if I do own them, it's strictly to, to, to do house chores or go to the gym or things of that nature. But the last thing I want is to, to, to eat, breathe and sleep police work. Mm-hmm. I just, it's, it doesn't do me any good to do that. And I, like I said, I'm a human being before I am a police officer. It's a part of my life. It is not my life. And I think that we've got tons of officers that are so proud and overwhelmed with all of that, that they don't shut it off. Mm. And it's, they go home, they're, you know, they're putting on their, uh, their we call them 511 pants. 511 are like military slash police pants mm. that they wear everywhere or they're wearing their thin blue line hat or they've got a thin blue line phone case or something right something has a moniker or symbolism and they got a thin blue line sticker on their car and i'm like no like no i'm I'm a human being yeah i love my profession i love helping people um but i'm a human being first and and i think going vegan and being vegan and seeing that compassion side for animals Mm -hmm. plays into my compassion side as a human being and as a police officer as well so how did you go vegan? What started the journey there? Uh, a veggie pizza. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a veggie pizza. Uh, it's <laughs> funny because um, me and my girlfriend had, uh, she was vegetarian for like five years. Mm-hmm. Hadn't had meat. She still consumed dairy and eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to always make fun of her and, you know, throw a little side joke. Wow. Mm-hmm. How can you do that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> And then finally, you know, I, I tried this, this veggie pizza. I had my meat pizza and it was, I was like, man, this is great. This is good. And I tried the veggie pizza and I'm like, wait a second. Like, how does this have more flavor than my pizza? Right. I don't understand it. And I still don't understand it. Right. And I said, huh. I said, well, let me experiment. Right. Cause I've dabbled with, you know, keto diet, mm. you know, the Atkins, you name it. I've, I've played around with the diets just because, yeah. I, you know, I, I came from like a fitness background. So it wasn't okay. uh, un, uncommon for me to just dabble with what I felt was fueling my body or what's going to build more muscle and burn more fat, you name it. So I said, I'm going to try to go vegetarian for a week. That's what I told myself. And then I said, I'll push the envelope. Why not just go vegan for two weeks and just see how my body responds? Yeah. And uh, I had no idea. I've always known how to cook. I have a passion for cooking. I just had okay. no idea what I was doing with plants, right? No yeah, idea. it's different. <laughs> There's definitely more prep work that comes mm-hmm. along with it. Mm-hmm. So I had no idea. So while I'm researching stuff on like Pinterest or YouTube, um, I'm figuring out, oh man, I can make this taste like this, right? I can make this taste like this or, or, you know, and, and uh, then finally documentaries started to pop up and when Mm. those documentaries started to pop up, I'm like, I'm, uh, you know, it's not enough just for me to make the decision, but I want to educate myself too, right? Yeah. Because before I wasn't really educated. I just want to educate myself. So I'm just going to look at these documentaries. So I watched What the Health, I watched uh, Dominion, which is the one that did it for me. (sighs) 
Uh, and that was tough. That was super, super tough. And I remember like really breaking down in tears at what I was seeing. And then I said, this is not right. Like, this is not okay. I, I can't consciously contribute to uh, um, an industry that is harming the sentient beings that have a purpose and that want to live. And that purpose is not to, to feed us, you know? Yeah. And um, so, so for those, for those listening, what the health really focuses on the health stuff Mm-hmm. And then Dominion is is a brutal look into animal agriculture mm-hmm. and animal abuse. Yeah, so I I I do promote those documentaries, mm-hmm. but I tell you know people like, well, I don't want to see that. Well, okay, I understand you don't want to see it, but you you kind of need to, you know. Yeah because it's, it's easy for us to just go in a grocery store and we see, you know, a piece of steak and for us to buy it. But if that stuff was plastered on the glass or above the display, you know, on a computer screen, well, this is how you got your meat. Then Different. more people would kind of question themselves. Yeah. They would question themselves. I, I saw a video and it was, it was a funny video, a, a kind of comedic video on Facebook where, this this guy is in a store and he's giving out samples of pork to people mm-hmm. and he's like would you you know he's giving them samples of pork and they're enjoying it and he's like oh do you want some pork and they're like yeah absolutely so he starts grinding this meat and then the meat stops coming out he's like oh wait i ran out of meat let oh, me no. let, let, let me so he grabs a little piglet and he puts it in the machine but he's not going to do anything to it. But then he starts grinding and they're like, wait, 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 no, 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 no. We don't want that. That's not okay. But it's like, this is where your meat comes from. You know? Yep. Yep. And but more, you don't want to see it. We're like, yeah. More people were like, no, I don't want it. Don't, you know? And they're trying to save the little pig. And you're right. It, it, it happens and people don't want to see it. So they're uneducated as to, where their meat comes from and how Mm -hmm. it gets from the farm to market to their plate. So what happened in those two weeks that you were like, I'm going to push the envelope. Let's see what happens. Dominion happened. (laughs) (laughs) That popped up and you were like, yeah, Yeah, at that moment, at that moment, I remember it was like six o'clock in the morning. I was on a treadmill. And when I watched that, I said, yeah, no, no, never again. So my two weeks has turned into a year now. Okay. Um, and I feel great. You know, I, I part of my uh, accountability is, you know, thinking about what I'm going to prepare, put on a plate and, and uh, show people on social media, mm. because I want people to understand that just because somebody is vegan doesn't mean you can't have the same things that you've eaten as a non-vegan person or as an omnivore. Like, you know, I can cook you some tacos with jackfruit. I can cook you, you know, uh, uh, some lasagna with some garden. And, you know, you're probably not going to be able to tell the difference, you know. And, and that's, what I, that's the most important thing for me. I just want to show people that it's possible. And I did the change overnight. So when people say, I can't live without meat. Well, when you think of the number one killer in the United States is heart disease. Yeah. You can't live with it either. You know mm, what I mean? mm-hmm. so so when you say you can't live without meat but then we see a lot of people dying from heart disease high blood pressure diabetes 
you can't live with it either. Yeah. That's all connected. So did your girlfriend <laughs> go from vegetarian to vegan then too? Yeah. Yeah. That so, makes it and nice. It's made it, yeah. And it's made it a lot easier on mm-hmm. both of us to hold each other accountable because now it's like, um, it's no longer me making fun of her. It's us trying to figure <laughs> out what we're going to eat. You had to admit defeat there a little bit. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I had to bend the knee. <laughs> well, it sounds like it sounds like all of these things really circle back to this exploration of consciousness and compassion. And mm-hmm. that's really, for me, becoming vegan pushed me to feel compassion in a lot of other areas too. Like it just Mm -hmm. does all feel so connected for me, my social justice passions and all of it, just the idea of being kinder, I think Mm -hmm. feels for me so connected and the um, confusion, like you said, uneducated. And when you were talking about that in my head, I was like, Oh, it's exactly the conversation we were having about (laughs) the system of, policing like it's just an uneducation of how it got to this place Mm -hmm. and it's just so interesting our knee-jerk reaction when we learn that something we thought we knew our whole lives is wrong is to be like nope I don't accept it yeah yeah exactly and we're quick quick we're quick to dismiss something that we don't understand Mm. we're quick to dismiss things because we fear change absolutely sometimes change is good Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, we live in a society where, you know, we have to have these uncomfortable conversations and learn from each other. I don't like the phrase, I don't see color. Oof. You need to see color. You know, you need to see that, that individual for how they were created. Mm. They're created differently, but that doesn't mean that they deserve unequal treatment Mm -hmm. and and I equate it to like a mosaic artwork Mm. okay you think of mosaic artwork and it's just you know shattered to pieces tile stained glass you name it and you put it together different colors right and 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 it's very contrasting and it makes it very beautiful yeah. It's the same way with, with human beings in our cultures. You've got black people, you've got Asian people, you've got Hispanics and whites, and, mm-hmm. and, and you've, got, you know, uh, you've got Middle Eastern people. And we're a beautiful mosaic piece of artwork. And what holds a mosaic piece together is kind of like mortar, you know, kind of right. like clay. It, it right. brings it together and holds it together to make a beautiful work of art. And I equate that to what's holding us together and what should hold us together is love, compassion, understanding, and empathy. But when we don't have that, that mosaic piece falls apart. And that's what, that's what we have now. Mm. We have multicultures, a lot of, you know, people from different cultures and we're not understanding each other. We're not understanding their pain. We're not showing compassion. We're not showing love. And we wonder why it's broken. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a really, that's a really powerful image. Images like that are so powerful because it takes it out of what we're thinking about Mm -hmm. and puts it into this like thing we can understand. 
Yeah, because all these colors together make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Individually, they're beautiful as well, but all these colors together in a mosaic piece of artwork or a stained glass window, all these different colors play off of each other and make something palatable to the eye and very beautiful. And what's holding us together is that love, compassion, understanding, and empathy. And when we don't have that, you've got beautiful work of, works of art that can come together and form something absolutely amazing, and it just falls apart. So it's, it's, um, it's disheartening to see what our country is going through. But we have to have those uncomfortable conversations and recognize in our own hearts and in our own minds the biases and prejudices and, and our own um, our own privilege mm. to where we can effectively start to have those conversations and make change. Get comfortable with getting uncomfortable. Exactly. It's crazy. I listened to a, a video. I can't remember who it was, but it's a, uh, he, he has like three videos, but it's, it's uncomfortable conversations with a black man. Mm. And it's amazing because he interviews uh, Matthew McConaughey. Okay. And they have a conversation, right? Yeah. A very, very good conversation. And they touched on people saying all lives matter, right? We understand that. And we recognize that all lives do matter. That's not to say that, you know, it's, it's, it's not okay to just say all lives matter. But right now, Black lives matter. Right. And he uses the analogy that right now in the world, we're facing a global pandemic, right? We're facing the coronavirus that is so specific and killing people at an alarming rate. Mm-hmm. That's not to say cancer doesn't matter. That's yes. not to say HIV doesn't matter. Yes. That's not to say high blood pressure, coronary disease, those things don't matter. But right now, coronavirus is the focal point because we don't have an answer for it. It's the same as Black Lives Matter. We're not saying that all other races don't matter, but we're saying right now in today's climate, at the rate that Black people are being killed at the hands of police officers or by normal citizens, Mm -hmm. or at the rate that people are just calling the police Mm -hmm. on people of color for you know, bird watching for, for barbecuing, for for riding a bike, riding a bike, for running, for nearly, for merely existing. Mm. That's not okay. So it's not that we're saying that all lives don't matter, but right now black lives matter needs to be at the forefront because they're losing people and they're being, you know, treated unfairly and unequally just because of the color of their skin. That is such a good analogy. Right? That's what I was like, man. And that was another one that I was like, man, that's amazing. Like, I didn't think of it that way. I'm definitely going to use that. (laughs) Yeah, I encourage you, any of your listeners, watch Uncomfortable Conversations with the Black Man. I'll put it in the show notes. I think he's got like maybe three episodes out. Okay. But they're all equally just very informative. Oh, that sounds super interesting. Thanks for yeah. sharing about that. Yeah. And they're like maybe 12, 15 minutes long. It's, it's not a hard watch, but it's very, very informative and educational. Yeah, that sounds great. So circling back, this has been such okay. a good conversation, but I'm curious, 
obviously you said you enjoy cooking and um, you're really into fitness, but what do you do to slow down and become present or conscious? And has that evolved over time? Um, I've always done the exact same thing in that kind of, you know, spend time with my dog. I love mm. walking her. She's the, the highlight of my life. She's, she's <laughs> over there being, being lazy. Um, I like trying new restaurants. Obviously, you know, going mm. vegan um, has made me explore uh, more restaurants that, that Dallas has to offer or wanting to go and travel and try vegan cuisine in another state. Um, obviously that's come to a halt with the whole coronavirus right. thing. Um, and I, you know, I enjoy just being outdoors when it's not too hot because Texas is, it's, it's crazy hot. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I do my best to just kind of slow down, decompress and not think about you know, the things that are going on at work and shutting it off. Cause that's the hardest part that a lot of people, a lot of officers have. Yeah. It's very easy for us to one, become cynical. We, we go into a restaurant and, and nine times out of 10, we have to know where all the exits are. Mm. We can't sit with our back towards the door. We're looking at everybody's waistband. We're looking at everybody's uh, ankles and, and pockets to see if they have a knife or a gun or things of that nature. So our level of anxiety and, you know, our, it's just, it's very heightened, right? Yeah. Our situation, our situational awareness is very heightened. Um, not to say that I don't do those things. I do still do those things, but I try to just kind of tone it down a little bit, you know, and not be overly, um, how do I put it? Overly paranoid. You know? Yeah. And it sounds like you're just bringing consciousness to it too. So it's like, you don't have yeah. to not do those things, but you're conscious of the fact, Oh, I'm doing that. Maybe that's not necessarily necessary yeah. right now, but at least you're thinking about it. That's half the battle, right? Is mm -hmm. bringing awareness to this thing we're trying to work on. So Absolutely. you could choose to just continue or you can be like, okay, I'm doing that thing. I need to just enjoy <laughs> this new vegan restaurant Yeah, exactly. and slow down. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, It's very important for, for us in the law enforcement world to kind of turn that off and enjoy our family, our friends, our loved ones, and not get lost in this ability to be lost in hypervigilance. Yeah. Absolutely. So is there anything that people should know about you that I haven't asked yet? No. Um, I used to be in a boy band. Oh, <laughs> that is unexpected. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. It's a little part of my history. I was in uh, high school and my cousin and my brother and a couple of high school friends were in choir and they were all really good singers. And I was the youngest, but um we started a boy band and we would like perform at like weddings and sweet quinceañeras and you name it and then eventually we got signed with like a very very small record label and started to do like concert training around dallas and then we linked up with um selena's father you know selena mm -hmm. yeah selena's father abraham quintanilla we linked up with him, with him and he signed us to their record label emi latin and uh, we traveled a lot and we cut an album and it was a lot. Oh of my fun. gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot. I was like 16 at the time. So it's seven, seven, 16, 17 at the time. And it was, 
it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. So it's, uh, my mom's very, very proud of that, by the way. <laughs> Anybody comes over, she's like, let me put on the video of my sons. Uh, let me put on uh, their album. And I'm like, mom, stop. Like, I'm 38 years old. <laughs> Telling it down a little bit, right? <laughs> Please tell me you had choreographed dance routines. Oh, yeah. Definitely, yeah. Thank yeah, goodness. Dance routines. Mm-hmm. Thank yeah. goodness. So we, we were kind of like a, a five-part harmony group, you know, kind of like voice to man and, mm. and things of that nature, but on a Spanish like level, right? Which is odd because I don't even speak Spanish. So <laughs> <laughs> any desire to reprise the boy band days anytime you soon? You know what? Some of them are, are kind of a little unhealthy on the hefty side, so I don't think that's definitely happen. <laughs> I think me, with the exception of me and like one other guy out of five, we're the only ones who are holding strong at, at maintaining a, a healthy, a healthy weight. That, that could have some choreography and still keep up. Definitely. Yeah. Oh Definitely. my gosh. I don't know what I, I was, I had no idea what I was expecting you to say, but the fact that you were in a boy band is not it, but I'm so glad that that came up. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 definitely the highlight. One of the highlights of uh, of my um, of my life. That's amazing. Yeah. That is amazing. Uh, where can people connect with you? So they can find me on Instagram at the Dallas Vegan Cop, um, and pretty much what you're going to see there is just me displaying meals. Um, you know, on a weekly basis, I try to engage with. Uh, the vegan community and my followers by just putting out content and you know they can you know I'm pretty much an open book you know people will reach out to me in my dms and ask me questions about recipes or they'll they'll ask me hey uh can you try to cook this so I can see how it looks like oh fun you know give me the recipe and I'm like yeah so I'm open to suggestions so yeah the Dallas vegan cop on instagram awesome That's amazing. Well, thank you again so much for doing this. This was really great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And I hope, um, I just hope that we can be better as, as people, you Mm. know, and, and just sit down and like you said, have those, those, uh, those uncomfortable conversations, get comfortable with being uncomfortable and start that dialogue because only then when we change our own hearts, can we sit down and recognize um, the things that are going on with, with people of color and start to understand and empathize and learn from their experiences? You know? Absolutely. And hopefully, there's still hope, you know. Love conquers all. Spread love, not hate. That's a- Absolutely. That's I think that having conversations like this is a really good start. I agree. I hope... Um, I hope your listeners enjoyed it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I look forward to continuing to connect with you. Thanks for listening to another episode of Consciously Clueless. If you enjoyed that episode and don't want to miss any in the future, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. See you next week.